So I want to introduce my friend. This is uh, Brother Mikey Cheshire. He is a missionary evangelist to Kenya. He is a man of boldness and courage. I like hanging around dangerous people. I must confess. I like, you know, if Bear Grylls was saved, then that would probably be like Mikey Cheshire. Amen. We, I love hanging around dangerous people because they provoke me to go to the next level. Just like I told you about Pastor Gustavo from Spain. He provokes me to go to another place in my walk, my life, my ministry, my pursuit of God, and my leadership. And in the same way, my brother Mikey is the same way. He's a missionary evangelist. He is going to preach to you as a world missions uh, individual who's given his life to the call of God. His wife is a missionary. His daughter is a missionary. His son, his whole family is committed to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ here in the earth. Amen. He said, I'm going all in, the whole family's in. So can you give a, a warm harvest welcome to my brother in Christ, Mikey Cheshire. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the opportunity to be together, that Lord God, we can celebrate your name. The name of your son that is above every name, Jesus. The only way to salvation, the only entrance portal into heaven. There is no other door. There is no other route but Jesus. Lord God, we are here, Father, to celebrate your son. And you called him preeminent and we call him the same. He's Jesus. He's our chief. He's our captain. He's our master. He's our love. He's our groom, Jesus. We're here for you. We're here, Lord God, gathered as a people to represent Jesus around the world. Thank you, Lord, for our faithful church, and thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to talk about your stuff. Have your way today. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. You don't know me, and that's all right. If you got to know me, you might not like me, but right now we're going to operate from the position of you like me. I'm here. And I'm like, is there a drum? I thought I heard it back there in the drums. I'm like, okay, it's comedy hour. That'll be great. Um. I'm thrilled for the opportunity to be here. I love your pastor. Uh, dude's a beast, loves Jesus. You know, I like to compliment people for what I see. And um, there's some things that are, there. you know, some people it's easy to compliment. I mean, simple. Some people, you got work. Don't be that guy. Be somebody that's easy to compliment. Be somebody that looks a lot like Jesus. But your pastor, one of the, the greatest things, I can say a ton about him, but one of the greatest things I can say about him is he's courageous enough to yield. Courageous, and you don't know what a gift it is to have somebody that's willing to let the Holy Spirit move in your midst. You don't know, I've, I, I visit hundreds and hundreds of churches. You have no idea how nice it is to have somebody that's willing to listen to the voice of the Lord and willing to let him have his way. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. 
So I celebrate your pastor. I celebrate your church. Your reputation preceded you. Uh, before I came, I, I, I heard a little bit about you, that you are a faithful church. And I saw yesterday displayed that you're a neighborly church, willing to be a good neighbor to a, another body of believers. That's very good. I was very proud of you. But I heard uh, the reputation that you are good givers. That reputation only solidified by the testimonial of last week. So today I don't want you to feel like I am speaking to you as people that are unwilling to be generous. That is not the nature of my message. But I do want to speak to you as a people that maybe you can improve on how you're generous. Amen. Because I can speak to you as a missionary that depends on generosity. Now, I am not working for an offering today. There's not going to be an offering taken for me. There's an honorarium. And I'm not working to be put on the rolls of missionaries you support. That's not my goal today at all. Before Jesus, my master, my savior, my boss. I mean that. So I'm going to speak to you as a missionary, as someone that depends on consistent faithfulness from churches. And I want you to see it from my perspective. Now, just to let you know who I am, my name is Mikey Cheshire. I was uh, burned at the age of seven. I don't cost as much as Dave Reaver. I'm like a poor man's Dave Reaver. <laughs> but you get what you pay for. Because I don't have as good of jokes and my ears don't come off. So we're, we're a little different in that way. He's a friend, by the way. You don't need to call him. We're not dealing with copyright infringement. We are both burned, right? So you don't get to corner the market there. I was burned when I was seven. I died five times with it. One time I was 40 minutes a corpse in the back of an ambulance. God's been good to me. I've had cancer, terminal cancer, 22 inches of tumor in my chest that he saw fit to remove his own self because it was inoperable. I've had bumps and bruises and scrapes along the way. I've had animals and people try to eat me. No, no joke, man. Lions, leopards have tried to consume me. And then we were working in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And these little pygmies, they're adorable, but they're dangerous people. I'm in the middle of presenting a message about Jesus, my living Christ. And the interpreter's like, we probably should hurry. I'm like, why? He goes, I just got word some cannibals are coming. Bruh. <laughs> I wasn't too worried about it. I went ahead and finished my message. Somebody asked me one time, why were you so confident? Not scared. I wasn't scared because as I understand it, cannibals like their meat rare. <laughs> and I'm well done. So. 
morning I want to talk to you about missions. I've traveled to more than 34 countries. I've had the joy, and this is not brag, this is Jesus. I was dead. He resurrected me, so at that point, he purchased any activity from my life. Are we clear? When I see him, I'm going to tell him I'm an unprofitable servant and mean it. So we're good on that. So as I tell you what I've had the joy of being a part of, it is not as a result of Mikey Cheshire's incredible intellect of self-preservation, because I tend to put myself in really bad circumstances. More than 34 countries, I've been a part of installing nearly 500 churches around the world. I've had the opportunity of ministering in crusade settings and others to the point that I have personally witnessed more than 130,000 people make a confession of Jesus Christ. I've seen it with my own eyes and presence. I've had the opportunity to lay hands on a corpse and God has resuscitated them. I'm like Catherine Kuhlman in that, she was way more potent than me, but I'm in that mentality that she has where she said, I am a happy observer to the greatness of my God where I am present and I believe what he's capable of doing. <laughs> Recognizing it is not of my own power that a thing is done. I've seen miracles you wouldn't believe. I've had the incredible opportunity of seeing God's kingdom push forth and I must confess that it is by the faithfulness, the consistent generosity of people who are unwilling and unable to do what I do, making it possible. We have this stigma, this thought process in our head that if you're staying home, you're not as useful as the one that is going out. That is false. It is biblically untrue. We are a body of believers. We're a family. We work together. There's different functions represented in every facet and aspect of our people. There are some aspects of a body that are more extraordinary than other aspects. You see me, you don't see my lungs. Take my lungs away and you won't see me anymore. Every part of the body is critically necessary. Unless you're talking about the uvula. I don't know what the uvula does. I have literally no idea the little dangle thing in the back of your throat that makes you want to cough. I have no idea. What does that even do? God, you'll have to tell me later. But I'm sure even that part of the body is so obscure is necessary. I was introduced to missions through my mother's joy for crusade ministry. She allowed me the opportunity to, to lead a trip when I was in my mid-teens. Being part of the body, but different even than my own parents. She said, baby, what do you want to do? I said, I want to go where nobody's ever gone before. Because that's what God called me to when I was young. He prophetically spoke over my life. I'll send you where nobody else wants to go, where other people are unwilling to go, where others are afraid to go. There you're going. 
So she said, where do you want to go? I said, I want to go where nobody's gone before. We went into a little place called Loita Hills in Kenya, headed towards the Tanzania border. We rented tents, brought our own food, brought our own water, went beyond the infrastructure of amenities and shared Jesus. And I tell you the truth, the Lord moved. We saw miracles, we saw signs, and we saw wonders, and we heard testimonies of people saying things like, we knew there was a God, we didn't know how to reach him. We knew there was a God, we didn't know he had a son. And then we heard indictments. If this is true, what took you so long to get here? How do you explain that the rest of the church may not share your burden for seeing no one damned to hell? During that time, we saw miracles and wonders. One guy crawled to our camp. He arrived, we're like, what are you doing? He said, I heard God had come to Loita. True, true, true story. We said, then sir, by your faith, he stood up. He went home. Yeah. Miracle after miracle. We were able to be bold and courageous, friends in that circumstance because we understood a, a potent and important fact. Our home was safe. Our home was safe. We could go anywhere knowing the rest of the body is operating well. The feet don't worry about the heart. They just go. The heart provides what it needs to function. Without the heart, without the provision of the heart, the feet could not progress. In this way, as we would go out into unreached places, as we'd go out in these dark places, as we would backpack into the mountains of Mexico, as we would backpack into the hill country of Kenya and Tanzania, as we would go, friend, and breach Stone Town Zanzibar 100% Muslim and share at an old British fairground the word of the Lord and have them gather to kill us and God miraculously heal a little girl of deafness that caused them to put down their weapons. That kind of confidence to be in that moment and press forward, a big portion of that comes from knowing the rest of the body as well. When you're out and about, I can tell you right now, I worry. I worry for my family. But when I hear that they're in a solid church, mom's doing well, kids are doing well, then I can compartmentally put that away 
and deal with the devils in front of me. If I know my back is covered, I don't mind grabbing a devil by the horn, spitting in his eye and seeing where it goes. Knowing home is safe is critically important. So those back home have a role of empowering those that are not home. Those back home have a role of providing security and confidence for those who are abroad. I've seen miracles you wouldn't believe it'd take too much time to tell. And I've seen wonders that would be anchor points in your faith so as that you would never doubt again. All by the blood Jesus shed for such things to be possible. But in all that time, a good portion of my confidence has been attached to knowing things are okay with the rest of the body. And I have been provided for through those who are home. I'm going to read you a story from the scriptures that's going to make it abundantly clear what I'm talking about. I know we have a bit of a limitation of time, and I want to leave room for an altar at the end if there's more prayer required. That is a pastor's directive, making it uh, acceptable. But if you return in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 30, we're going to read a rather lengthy passage as we come to understanding on this principle that we are a body, we work together, that security at home emboldens those who are abroad, that there is a unity that we depend on, a legacy of unity that brings about our peace as we serve. Chapter 30. Now when David and his men had come to Ziklag, and on the third day the Amalekites had made a raid against Negeb and against Ziklag, They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because of all the people being bitter. They were bitter in soul, each for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He, God answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and you shall surely rescue. So David set out and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook of Bezor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men, pay attention here, friends, 200 stayed behind, 
who were too exhausted to cross the brook of Bezor. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David and they gave him bread and he ate and they gave him water to drink. And they gave him a piece of cake and figs and two clusters of raisins. When he had eaten, his spirit revived for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. David said to him, to whom do you belong? And where are you from? He said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. My master left me because I fell sick three days ago. He had made a raid against Negeb of the Cherethites and against that which belongs to Judah and against Negeb of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, will you take me down to this band? And he said, swear to me by God, you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master and I'll take you down to this band. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines, from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until evening of the next day, a day and a half of slaughter. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds. And the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David, who had been left at the brook Bezor. And they went out to meet David and meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men, I love how gentle the Bible is. <laughs> if we were down in South Louisiana, it'd be like all damn idiots. <laughs> the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, pay attention church, this is so critical for you, my generous friends. You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. The Lord has given us. Who is the Lord of the increase and the harvest? The Lord Jesus. Who is responsible for salvations? Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Father. Who is responsible for the successes and victories that are seen in this circumstance practically among the enemy that David fought for a day and a half, just 400 killing thousands? Jesus, because 400 people don't do that. It was Jesus. It was God. 
who is responsible for salvations, victories across the world for the kingdom of God, Jesus. This is reality. You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into battle, so shall his share be who stays with the stuff. They shall share alike. And he made it a statue and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. As his share is that goes into battle, so his share shall be who stays with the things, the possessions, the home. You see, we're all interested in the same thing. We want God's kingdom increased. We want that which was lost to be found. We have adopted the cause of the Christ. In this way, we recognize some practical realities. If everybody goes and nobody remains, we are homeless. And we undermine the strength of our infrastructure and the ability to fight well. World War II, World War I, warring with the Mongols, Vietnam, Korea, you go to any major engagement, the key to overcoming your enemy is to cut off their supply from home. If they are not able to be empowered by their home, they will run out of resource and they will perish. A steady supply was necessary that these engagements could be won. We're all interested in the same thing. We're a family. Families worry about the same stuff. We want our sons and our daughters, our belongings which have been stolen away, territories which have been annexed by our enemy in the spirit realm. They are in need of rescue. There are, there are regions of the realm of the spirit on earth that are occupied by the enemy under the stronghold. I'm not, uh, I've died too many times to be shy. There, there are regions of our world that are enemy occupied by Islam, by Hinduism, by animism, by ancestry worship, that the Holy Ghost needs to pierce in order to bring light that captives may be made free. Yeah. 
There, there is a conflict. There is cosmos world war one still raging between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. We cannot sit idly by and watch generations of our people be raised as pagans instead of honorable to our God and bearing an entranceway into heaven. I want you to note that they killed none of them. Why did they kill none of those they had taken prisoner? It was because they didn't want to shed blood. They wanted to make them like themselves. They wanted to expand their own ranks by proselytizing the people of David to become people of the Amalekites. The enemy comes into the church and he proselytizes to make people of God into people of the world. all want the same thing. We're interested in recovering that which is lost. And there is a need to have some remain with home to make sure the supply chain isn't broken and empower those that are in the field trying to recover that which has been taken. There's a need to have those who remain with the stuff and those who go out to fight. And it doesn't mean the ones who remain don't fight Listen, they fight differently. They fight by getting up and going to that grindy job and making the resources that enable them to be a part generously of the war against Satan. You don't even see it that way. You think you're trying just to earn money to pay a house payment. That's part of it but you're trying to gain resources to empower the church to be able to overcome the enemy. It makes flipping that burger a little easier. When you recognize every time you flip one, you're gaining what you need to empower the war. When we go out, it's a joy to know there's a reason to fight. Our cause is just, and there's a joy to know we have something to return to. In seven minutes, we'll be in the altar. Hang tight. During the expansions of the Europeans reaching out and annexing the whole planet, there was one named Hernando Cortez, a conquistador. landed on the shores of the southern coast, eastern seaboard of the Americas. And what he did, he burned the ships. And I've heard a lot of stories around this, but the truth of the matter is, those men wanted to go home. Let's be honest. 
They watch that ship burn and they're saying, that's my ticket back to mama. That's my ticket back to my kids. There was a a need for resources. There was a need for expansion. And so they were willing to leave their family back home believing there was a way to get back. Well, when those ships burned and they realized the only way back home was through, they fought with fervor and strength because the desire to get back home, that the heart being away, wanting to be back, gave them the courage to fight like lions. Having a home to return to is a powerful motivator to wade into the next conflict with passion instead of fatigue. Having a home to return to is a powerful motivator to return uh, to, to wade into the next conflict with passion instead of fatigue. And many of these men found their way back to their family's arms again. We all want the same thing. We want our friends, our family to be saved. And we need both sides of the engagement to be managed, home and the foreign front. Being generous, listen, I know you don't feel this way. So don't think I'm levying an indictment against you. I just want clarity for you. Being generous is not enabling someone else to have your reward. When you sow into one of the missionaries I assume this church supports, you are investing in a result for yourself as well. Meaning the the portion is equal according to the scriptures that God wrote for those that go and those that remain. We, we could not go and wage war against the kingdom of hell without the support of people from home. I actively depend right now, I depend month to month on people to supply me the opportunity to go and take care of the ministries I have. We have an orphanage. We're opening a missionary training school. I do exploration on motorbikes and backpack and look for people that don't know Jesus. I could not do this without the opportunity being provided through the generosity of the church. But here's the thing. When I stand in front of the, the, I use this word, it's fun. When I stand in front of a savage and they become a saint, that moment is assigned to me as being a representative of Jesus. It is therefore also assigned to everyone whose resources enabled me to stand there. So my dear sweet sister Susie, who sits on the pew and faithfully with a trembling hand after years of writing, writes out her faithful check and gives to the church and the church being good stewards, 
apportion some of that to help me serve when I serve well the results of service are applied all the way down the line to sister Susie so when sister Susie stands before Jesus on the day that her race is won God would say to her look at all the souls that have been saved through your ministry she would say I never did he would say you always did every accolade that I could uh, grab onto and say this is something I would prop up as a accomplishment of a servant to Jesus they've been made possible by faithful friends by people that were staying with the stuff when you stand before the Lord and the spoils of this holy war are assessed all of those works done faithfully by your missionaries will be assigned also to you now why do I add that word faithfully by your missionaries because I believe churches ought to actively vet their missionaries and make sure they don't stink that's a whole different I'm not going there I'll be good you're making an investment who makes an investment into a company they know nothing about hello you have an opportunity now I'm going to tell you honestly we're working right now in South Louisiana along with all the other stuff we enjoy doing to recover a church that was destroyed in the hurricane proud happy excited the church is open it's doing well still some hurdles but God's got this during this season I have not been traveling as much this is what has enabled us to persist faith promises when I can go to a church and visit and take an offering that is a surge of resources right we understand this is, I'm talking shop but you get this we're having a business session right now there's a surge of resources it's in my responsibility to steward those resources to last until there is a service where there's another surge of resources that's how it works it's called budgeting it's lovely when a church gains a vision for what I'm doing and they say or a person and they say we don't want to just give you a surge of resources we want to make a commitment to you and so we're going to commit to $50 a month or $100 a month $5 a month what that enables me to do is not worry about surges, but just concentrate on the function. Those faith promises provide a consistency that I can depend on, and it takes off of my shoulders a burden of worry or concern or navigation in order to continue going forward to do what I need to do. 
generosity and surges of resources are awesome. But consistent giving shows a couple of things. It shows the missionary you believe in them. Now again, I'm not working for your support. I'm telling you how it is. You're showing your missionary you believe in them. And you're saying, not only do I wanna bless you for coming and providing a service, I also recognize you're working when I don't see you. And I believe in what you're doing. So I'm gonna commit to you. I'm gonna make an investment in you. Those investments enable the missionary to operate without concern. Faith promises need to couple with generous surges. That's just the way it needs to be. You provide the resources to enable a missionary to dream and then act on those dreams before all the resources have surged in because they know a faithful church is committed to the whole picture. And so even if the resources aren't there immediately, they can begin on what God has called them to do because there's someone who said, over the course of this year, we're gonna provide this to you. So they know that when later in the year that, that bill arrives for the dream they're carrying out, building a school, building a church, providing food, whatever it is, they know that that resource pool is going to come in to cover and navigate the dream that God's given them. I mean, if you went to work and your boss said, I'm gonna pay you intermittently when I feel like it, that would not be agreeable with most Americans. You who are staying with the stuff, you're a treasure. You are equally valuable to the person that's standing in the village. And perhaps you haven't thought of it this way, but that legacy of unity between those who have stayed and those who have gone have provided the opportunity for much of the world to be reached with the gospel and it will be the foundation for the rest of it to be touched. So I encourage you in this way. As a missionary, I hope I've given you a glimpse into the principle of giving, but also the boon of investing on a consistent basis through faith promises. I pray the culture of faith promises would grow among your body and provide a consistent budget that you can make commitments to missionaries and know you can follow through. Now I'm gonna be in the altar because I wanna pray for you if you need it. But you need to understand that these faith promises are future moments of victory. Faith promises are future moments of victory being sown into a battle that's ongoing right now. I wonder how you will be compelled to contribute to this war since its outcome affects us all.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and the opportunity to be together. I thank you, Lord God, that these are awesome people. I pray your message would find its way to their heart and you would bless them. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you need a healing, you need somebody to pray with you, I'm going to hang out on the altar. Uh, Pastor already gave me permission. So we're going to hang out. If I can uh, do anything for you, come see me. I love you. Thanks for your attention.